0: Please turn to James chapter 5 and we're going to continue in the letter from our brother from a couple thousand years ago. So we've been marching all along with James. We're on the last chapter, believe it or not. And I think that probably the last chapter will be will be comprised of 3 different sermons. So today is one of three. Um, So today we're going to go one through six, as it has a lot to say about the wealthy. So the main points that James has made throughout our study, sincere faith lived out in the doing of God's word, the trappings of the rich and self-indulgence. Guarding your tongue and then pride. Those are several main points, although James makes lots of points, but those are recurrent. We've continued to see those week after week as we've walked through James together. And so we see James start chapter five with his last warning to the rich. So he says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. So, warning, red flashing signs, rich people, listen up, James says. So there are three views of the primary target of this passage. Overall, generally, what do we know about James' letter? Who is it to? What does he state in chapter one? Who does he state the audience is? It's to those believers that are scattered abroad, right? Is what he says in verse, uh, in uh, chapter one. So if that's James' primary audience, and the fashion of an epistle is that these are letters that, are intended to be read in front of a congregation, right? That when you receive uh, a letter from James, you receive a letter from Paul. These are read aloud in front of the congregation. So there are at least a few different views of James's language here. I tend to look at this as, kind of both a condemnation of unbelievers that are wealthy and uh, a warning to those believers that are inside of the family of faith who is James' primary audience. So it it is worth looking at this. Sometimes we don't treat the Bible as we do other literature, thank God, but there are some things about, you know, looking and analyzing the text that we should draw out from this. One of the reasons that there's this view out there that James is primarily speaking to unbelievers who are wealthy is that of condemnation without a call to repentance, So if you read through these six verses, he does not at any point say, repent immediately, right? Although that could certainly be implied. Um, if, (laughs) If the leader of the church at Jerusalem is saying this, I think there should probably be an implicit exhortation to believers that would be within earshot of this um now um the view i think really it's not necessarily all that important to have this overall forensic viewpoint of of this scripture to say well this was clearly to unbelievers or this was clearly to believers because i think it has implications for both both Um, can, can be enlightened by this, James is calling out sin, regardless of whether it is inside or outside of the family of faith. Another thing is, as Christians and as pastors and as elders and speakers, we never know who the audience that we're speaking to is, right? Now we've, I've known many of you crazy to think we've known each other 10 plus years now um, in word of grace, I've known you for over a decade. I know what your lives are comprised of. I, I, I know how you are in your families and how you conduct business with other people and, and all of these things. But at the end of the day, I don't have a, have soul vision, (laughs) right? Um, And so when I, when I or anyone else preaches from the word, we're preaching to a mixed, mixed crowd. So there may be some, some tears along with the wheat, right? And I think that that's James um, as well. You know, James is speaking to a broad congregation, speaking to groups of believers, and within the earshot of his message are going to be both unbelievers and believers, Uh, the same with any of us. You know, Jesse helps us as a church and goes through and edits our sermons and puts them online. And it's really interesting to see how many on Sermon Audio, how many different countries, how many different states listen to these messages. So just like, just like James, our messages are going out there and I don't know the people who listen online. I I, I don't have a personal relationship with them. So, um just an example and a microcosm of the effect of scripture and preaching. All of that to say there's purpose in addressing both. For Christians, for us, there's a lot of warning in here about the trappings of self indul- indulgence and wealth. And I believe that James has this warning for us to make sure that we know. What kind of traps that wealth can be? So as we read, James addresses and calls out several different conditions of the wealthy. And these serve for warnings for us that are believers. These are warnings. Do not let yourself fall into this trap. For those of us that aren't believers, There's a condemnation here and a sin that you should know about. James addresses those that have hoarded wealth. So have put it back, kind of think about because I'm a nerd, as everyone knows. uh, I think about Lord of the Rings. I think about Smog sitting on his big pile of gold, the dragon with his big hoard of gold. Um, and, and he wants to, <laughs> he wants to guard that. Um, that's what I think about hoarding. So good example too, because um, smog is not saved, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, so those that have hoarded wealth, those that have not paid their workers, those that have lived in luxury and self-indulgence and those that have condemned and murdered the innocent so there's four different conditions that wealth can lead us down the path of so what good does hoarding do you know there are stories of men and women who are misers that live in basically poverty and hoard all this wealth that they never do anything with. They stick it back, and they just want to create a big hoard, um, and and it's not even ever used. So the main point of all of this that we'll hit on repeatedly throughout the course of uh, this morning is that James calls for us to be reliant fully on God to find our complete joy in belonging to him. So if we find our joy, we find our assurance in the hoard, we find our uh pleasure in self-indulgence. And we find all of these things, it's just clear contrast. To the pure religion that James is promoting. So in the hoarding we're keeping clothes that will never be used and the moths eat them up. So what good are all these clothes <laughs> uh, that will never be used or never have a chance of being used? Um, It's the moths that are going to come for them. The gold and silver have been kept and corroded. And James is being figurative here, of course, in both cases. But think about that. Gold and silver are prized for their value. And one of the aspects of gold and silver is they are very difficult to corrode. They're very difficult to rust. So even these precious metals, in James' viewpoint, will be rusted and corroded. What should this wealth be used for? So we have the warning against the misuse of wealth, but what should wealth be used for? And why does James specifically call this out in the last days? Let's look at some cross-references. So I'm not going to go over the eight point font of this slide, but uh so don't be worried, all right, but just to remind you if you if you want to turn to matthew twenty five please I welcome you to do so. but if you recall what happens in matthew twenty five there's the parable of the talents, and in the parable of the talents, Christ, like many other times, is using a story to Um, to show what is good, what is right, what is moral, and what the kingdom of God is. Inside of the parable of talents, servants are given various amounts of money, five, two, and one talent. What those servants do, if you recall, is... The one that was given five talents goes and makes another five talents. The one with two talents goes and does the same thing. But the one with one talent, what does he do? He goes and buries it and doesn't use it. And because he's unfaithful in his use of the resources that he has been given to him in verse 26. The Lord says in this in this parable, but his master answered and said to him, you worthless, lazy slave. Did you know that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter seed? Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, Jesse. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take the talent away from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. What has the Lord given us resources for? You you probably have, very few of us actually have paper checks anymore, but you get a check, you get a direct deposit into your bank account. So immediately when you get that, that money, what do you do with it? And where is it bound? I know most of mine is bound up and and Food Lion is one of my dependents. Uh, So is Walmart. Um, But we use that to, number one, take care of our families, which is a biblical mandate. But we also use that money for God's kingdom, right? We use our cars. We use our houses my view is that that we're stewards of those resources that God has given to us. If somebody needs a truck in this congregation, please don't think I'm kidding. If somebody needs a truck or if somebody needs to borrow one of our cars or whatever, please ask me. I, I, I'm glad to because that belongs to God. God God's given me what I have. Um If you need to borrow something that I have, it's, it's, it's yours. Go for it. Because my viewpoint and Rita's viewpoint is that these are things that the Lord has given to us. Um, Now, um, do we have investments? Do we try to save some money? Yes, we do. Because (laughs) Number one, we don't even know if if our government is going to be around by the time I retire. But secondly, we are trying to discretionally take care of our family, right? But that's not taking care of our family because I'm going to buy a, a 747 that's gold gilded when I retire. But that's that's not what's going to happen. Um, so there is room for savings. But hoarding is a completely different animal, right? Hoarding says, I'm going to keep this back selfishly. And even when I see a need, I'm still going to hold it back. I'm not going to allow anyone um, to take my stuff, right? Very self-indulgent way to live we continue in Luke 12, 16 through 21. Jesus is addressing a crowd of thousands. And he told them a parable again, a parable. The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began thinking to himself, what shall I do? Since I have no place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And I will store all my grain and my goods there. And I will say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years to come. Relax, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is demanded of you. And as for all that you have prepared, who will own it now? Such is the one who stores up treasure for himself. And is not rich in relation to God. So a warning to us. There should be at least a question for me and you. When we have extra, how are we supposed to be using that? When we truly truly do have an abundance of things, do we think about helping others? Do we think about... Hmm, I wonder if there's a someone like uh the Samaritan's Kitchen or Ebenezer's Attic or a local charity like that that could actually use some of these resources. Um in both of those cases, they're doing things to help the community with hunger and uh with um with adoption and fostering. We should think about that. When we have extra, it's good that we save it. And and perhaps that's what God would have us to do. But I think it's good for us to at least have the question of what should I do with this? How can I glorify my father the most with what he has given to me? First Timothy six, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I think that this passage really, to me, stood out as the crux of James' application. The contrast in verse 17 of setting our hope on God versus um, being conceited uh, and being uh, dependent on those riches. There's a huge contrast Um Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works. The contrast again, rich in stuff versus rich in good works. You know, there's, there are people that I grew up with, um, that honestly did not have much of anything. Uh, you know, I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina, very familiar story to a lot of you, um, um. And there are people who really did not have much. But in terms, of, in terms of what they would share, in terms of how rich they were, they were rich. They were rich. Um, you know, my my Granny Taylor lived in a house with my Uncle Dean. That was his house. So she didn't own the house. She didn't really have too much, frankly, but granny, the moment you come in that house, you're offered something (laughs) very generous, very, very giving person, very smart person. Um, God only knows what that woman could have done with some, with uh, access to an education and, and other things, but yet, God used her in my context um, to, you know, be with all of my uncles and and aunts, 10 kids she raised. She was rich. And she told, she told a pastor before that one of the places that she prayed the most was in the garden. She told him that she leaned on her hoe and prayed for her sons. That's, that's the kind of, That's the kind of woman that she was. That's an example for me. And we have lots of biblical examples of how being rich in the Lord looks. You may not have much of anything. So um, when when we are ready to be generous, even with what we have, we should not be storing it up for ourselves. Um, one of the things that I also, I also loved about growing up in the way that I did is when people had a garden, everybody would trade and swap. Okay, so your potatoes are coming in. I'm going to swap with you. Here's some green beans. Um, my dad this past week had some a health concern and we had to... Uh, Go. uh, He went to the hospital, and it came out during that hospital visit that he had been helping himself to his uh, brother's garden, (laughs) and his brother was there, and we were all laughing about it, because that's perfectly acceptable for my dad to walk into his brother's garden and get beans and all of this. So... But I I love that. And I love having those things to share um, with others. Uh, I think that that's honestly, that I believe glorifies our Father in heaven to share our resources and share what we have. Um, Now, withholding payment, the second of the wealthy ills that James points out. What are the downstream implications of withholding someone's payment for their work? Number one, God has designed our work to provide for our families. First Timothy 5.8 says, but if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So the biblical mandate is that we provide for our own families. And men, I'm primarily talking to you, but we certainly couldn't do it without our ladies, and they provide for us as well. Um, In 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 13, it says, Now we command you, brothers and sisters, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother or sister who leads a disorderly life and not one in accordance with the tradition which you have received from us. For you yourselves know that you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined way among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a role model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone who is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either pretty clear. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now we command and exhort such persons in the Lord Jesus Christ to work peacefully and eat their own bread. But as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary of doing good. Clear biblical mandates that we are to work to provide for our families. If we are not willing to work now, not being able to work is a different story. Okay. There are truly people who are not able to work, but if we are not willing to work, then we shouldn't, we shouldn't be able to eat. I think it's clear. So when, he's talking to the labor or he's talking to the wealthy and they're taking away the ability for the laborers to use their wages to provide for their families. Ultimately, the wealthy are holding them back from, um, doing the will of God, um, which is a sin, um, of pretty big proportions here. Furthermore, you know, the Bible instructs us for all areas of life. It's not just a personal moral compass, but it's also how we conduct business, how we interact with other people. And it has a lot to say about this topic, about a worker's wages. In Luke ten seven it says stay in that house eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer is deserving of his wages. Do not move from house to house. In 1 Timothy five eighteen it says you shall not muzzle the ox while it is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. In Matthew 10.10, do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the worker is deserving of his support. Old Testament references. Leviticus 19.13. You shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired worker are not to remain with you all night until morning. So promptly paying people for their labor. Deuteronomy twenty four fifteen. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets. For he is poor and sets his heart on it so that he does not cry out against you to the Lord and it becomes a sin in you. So lots of biblical instruction about the laborer being worth his wages. So when James condemns the wealthy for the practice of hoarding wealth and not paying their workers, he has a firm biblical foundation for doing so. In James 5, 6, James ends this part of the chapter with um, how ultimately these sins, what they could lead to and the most tragic of ends of the wealthy behaving in this way. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. In Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, It identifies seven things that are an abomination to God. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who declares lies. And one who spreads strife among brothers. So notice that hands that shed innocent blood is called out in Proverbs 6. We do know, because we're studying James, and I've said this several different times, that James draws a lot from the wisdom sections of Scripture. And he draws a lot out of Christ's specific teachings, um, those you see the most parallels out of James and what he he uh, says in his letter. So we can't read James five six and not think about Christ, right? The murdering of the innocent. We we've got to think about the purely innocent one, who was killed by the rich and powerful. Think about how it It's hard for me not to think about Christ in a little bit of a, a way of like a hippie <laughs> right he's he's He seems to be this very serious individual at points, but at the same time full of of joy and light he doesn't have any worries about making a home for himself you know he's he's walking and and going about teaching around all of the uh the uh, Israel and Samaria and and that area. And you know, he's not concerned with all the trappings of the world. Christ, Christ knows where his health comes from, <laughs> right? Christ knows that um he doesn't need to worry about any of that and says things to people like, consider the lilies, right? They don't toil or spin. But that man was killed by the influential and wealthy Pharisees, priests, and Pilate. So the people that were in power, especially religious power of his day, the Pharisees loved money. So you got to think about James. You know, sometimes when people are from, um certain backgrounds or s- certain sins specifically that have affected them, they when they're preaching about a subject, they're preaching to themselves as well. And their com their experience comes out in, in what they're saying. I think that you can really uh, to me it uh, kind of resonates with James' personal viewpoint as well. He was one of those Jews who did not even think that Jesus was the Messiah first. And then after the resurrection, James became a follower of Christ. So when he's thinking about the Pharisees and, and, and when he's thinking about rich people, I, I think to, to me, it just seems very natural for him to think about um, those rich people who. We're responsible for for murdering the Lord. In Luke 16, 10 through 15, the one who is faithful in a very little thing is also faithful in much. And the one who is unrighteous in a very little thing is also unrighteous in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true wealth to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were ridiculing him. And he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of people, but God knows your hearts, because that which is highly esteemed among people is detestable in the sight of God. Really super clear for us, the way the Lord views the wealth of the world and the dependence upon it. You cannot serve God and wealth. Clear, right? And what are some of those the propagators of of being wealthy and using it against people? A Pharisees, the very people that scripture was supposed to be entrusted to. And those that had the most education, they they had an education that we can't dream of. Uh, can you imagine living in the first century? And being able to learn from the rabbis of, of scripture in the first century and seeing Jesus walk among you. Wow. What, uh, what amazing, what an amazing time, um, and, and ability they had to learn and they all squandered it. Uh, if you've not watched the series, the chosen, I actually really li- I re- like that series and I like, uh, I like the depiction of Nicodemus a lot because Nicodemus is shown to be, you know, this rich guy with a rich posse around him. <laughs> and as he goes from place to place, he has this high place of honor and they look at Nicodemus uh, and, you know, he's a big deal like ron burgundy kind of a big deal right um and then he comes to talk to jesus and gets humbled in an instant so um those are the very people so it for me it's hard not to read james and hear echoes of who he would be condemning with those verses so how do we wrap this all up today so Let's kind of just review here. Warnings about wealth. Remember James first chapter. Our joy is to be in the Lord, that we may be complete, lacking nothing. Putting our faith in wealth is idolatry. We live lives of sharing with each other, of taking care of those that are less fortunate, of meeting needs within the body. How can we do this if we hoard our resources? We can't take wealth with us. So when he addresses them in the last days, and think about James' context. It's been 20 centuries ago almost. Even then, he lived with this perspective of it being the last days. They thought they thought that Christ would return imminently. We should too. <laughs> we're closer to it now than they were. We don't know how close, but can you think about that? Wow, they, they, they lived with this idea of don't worry about any of this stuff because pretty soon it's all going to burn up and, the, uh, and, and it will be meaningless. I think we would do well to take the same perspective. These are the last days. We can't take it with us. The most tragic outcome of our love of money could come in the murdering of the innocent, the first level of which is taking away people's ability to make their livings, to withhold payments of what we owe to people for doing work. And the second warning is to be so hung up on our wealth and position like the Pharisees that we would go so far as to sanction the murdering of the innocent think about that extreme case of how much they loved money and power that the moment that they had the ability to get rid of this jesus they did um and so you know sin sin has come the full spectrum here throughout the course of these six verses. So let us be warned, and let us be dependent and find our joy in Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we would not depend on our positions, on our wealth, Lord, or any of those things, Father, to make us complete but we would instead rely on you. We would rely on, Father, your provision to us. Lord, you have given us everything that we need. Lord, I pray that we would have a sensitivity to those that are in need around us, that we would be a giving people uh, and a hospitable people. And Father, I pray that you would guard our hearts for, Lord, not loving wealth or loving money. Father, I pray that we would all, uh, Lord, be hear these words and examine our hearts. That if there are any ways that we are depending on wealth, Lord, instead of you, Lord, I pray that you would convict us of that and, Lord, that you would help us to repent and walk with you more closely. We thank you for this word this morning, and we thank you for your goodness towards us. In Jesus' name, amen.